and what he wants us to do. I, I get to these places where there's just kind of stop signs, and it's been kind of good because having uh, Kristen preach, having the missionary come in, um, having some of the things that have happened have given me a chance to kind of recalibrate. And when I came back to the board, I erased my whole dry erase board. I, I blanked it all out. I'm staring at a blank wall for a couple of days. And then when I finally knew what I was supposed to start with, I wrote on the board, all the prophets are dead. <laughs> all the prophets are dead. In 1 Corinthians 14, 5, it says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I always wanted to be a prophet. There's something about reading the Bible. When you read the stories of Elijah, when you read the stories of Elisha, when you read about Nathan, when you read about Huldah, when you read about Anna, when you read about Agabus, when you read about all these prophets of God in the Bible, there's something about reading that that makes me want to be that. You know, when I read about Paul's shadow healing people, when I see about them raising people from the dead, now see, it's easy with Jesus to say that was Jesus. I like it when the ordinary guys did some of this, right? I like that Samuel's just a kid, and, and the God calls him as a kid. Can you imagine if, if one of these kids, barely able to talk, God says, you need to go rebuke the preacher about his sons, right? And Samuel's laying there, and God speaks to him, and the message he gives him, the first message he gives him is, go tell Eli I'm going to destroy his house because he's let his sons run wild, he's let the kingdom run wild, and judgment's coming to him. And through Samuel, all these great miracles and wonders, and he guides a whole nation and all these people. And when I read the Bible, I want to be like those guys. I never read the Bible and thought to myself, man, I'm glad those days are over. I would hate to see a day where we made the sun stand still in the sky until the Lord brought victory. Man, that'd just be terrible. I would hate to see the day where we had to get across the Kishwaukee River, if we couldn't wade across it, right? Half the time it's frozen here, you could walk across it, right? But say we had to get across and God just parts that thing for us. How would you not want to be there? How would you not want to see that? How would you not want to be one of those guys, right? That you can raise your staff, that as long as your hands are held high, the victory belongs to the Lord, right? All those great stories. How can you read those and not want to be those? And I always grew up wanting to be that. I grew up in Pentecost, but I grew up in a Pentecost without prophecy. I actually grew up in a couple of churches because I, I grew up in my Pentecostal church and I also went to a Baptist school, so I had, I had both of them. Now see, here's, here's the thing, because Let's be honest, sometimes, sometimes we like to say that we're better than other denominations. And we are. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I just knew you were expecting something else, so I had to put that in there. But do you know that in the Pentecost that I was raised in, we were as ritualistic and religious as anybody else. We just had different religions and we had different rituals. We... we we would joke about how the other ones were kind of caught in their services and caught in their liturgies and all their fancy Catholic stuff. And, you know, everybody in the Episcopal Church has a name for what they do. Every time you do something there, you're an acolyte or a this or a that, right? And all these, you know, I would never have known the word vestibule except I grew up in a church, right? We have our same religions. We have our same rituals. And when I grew up in Pentecost, I grew up with everybody telling me how important it was that I spoke in tongues. 
because of how I was saved, I didn't want my parents' religion. And by that I mean I, I was the one kid that was the rebellious. When I was the middle child, you know how middle children are, right? We've got to test all the rules. We've got to see what we can get away with. We're always trying. Now, the see the thing with Mark and Danny, you guys are so close. Which one of you is actually the middle child, though? Because, okay, all right. See, I didn't, Danny's the actual middle child. Um, I'm just proving a point by identifying you from all the way up here, right? What happened when I was saved was I didn't want anyone to tell me what Christianity was about. I wanted to know what was power and what was preference. Because we have a whole lot of preferences in church that have absolutely nothing to do with the power of God. And sometimes we let our preference for how we want it to be override the power of God moving in there. Right? Just, just a second ago, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, go on. I'm like, no, shut up for a second. Let the song go on. Let the Lord minister a little bit. You don't have to talk all the time, right? But in my head, I have this clock, right? Okay, this happens, this happens, this happens. I'm the pastor. Everything's got to happen. I'll only for, you know, I'm just worried I'm going to forget something else, right? But there comes a time when God has to stop our ritual and he has to stop our preferences so that we can truly understand the power of God working in our lives. And so when I got saved, I, I literally locked, my, locked the door to my room and I, just, I started with the book of John and I said to the Lord, I'm going to read this and I'm going to figure out what you say and that's what I'm going to go with. And that's what I'm going to do. I, I, I don't want to know what my mom and my dad say. I don't want to know what my denomination says. I don't want to know what my school says. I want to know what's really in here. Power trumps preference when we set aside our words for the word of God. Now, Every denomination is formed. Are you ready for this? Every denomination is formed because at some point, somebody looks around the denomination and says, oh my gosh, this thing is dead. Light a fire in this place would just catch up. It's all dead wood. We'd burn to the ground in an instant, right? And so what they do is they get in this place where they get really hungry for the move of God. They get really hungry for the Spirit of God. They get really hungry to see where God is. And they, and they finally find that. And so you know what they do? They make a new denomination. <laughs> and, we have a, and we have another denomination now, and there's that fire in that denomination. It burns, and we're the ones, and we get the word of God, and things are so great. And then that word of God becomes that same sort of ritual, and the fire begins to die, and it begins to get cold, and the wood begins to die. And then someone comes along and says, man, this thing is dead. I really wish there was a fire of God in this place. See, part of it, and we talked about it last week, how we said that, for instance, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we talk about that as if it's a one-time thing. Like we talk about salvation. Okay, at this point in time, I became, right? Not a, we're being saved, like the Bible uses the phrase over and over again. Not a, not a journey in Christ, not a relationship that grows. The same with the baptism of the Spirit. We say it's a specific fixed point in time and not a baptizing in the Holy Spirit that changes our life from day to day. But we want to fix things in time and check them off and then just wrap the, relation, the ritual around that. I've heard people preach the Bible with all the passion of someone reading a dictionary. I remember when I got saved, I'd listen to some preachers and I'd be like, man, I could get up there, I could get up there and just, and just weep over this passage and just show them what's on my heart and do a better job than what you're doing because the way they were doing it, it was just like, you are really just dragging all the fire out of that verse, you're dragging all the passion out of it, you're treating it like it's a law. You know, I love it that, that Jesus almost says with a sneer, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? 
You guys are all up in the rules. You're all up in the rituals. You want to know what comes next, and is this okay and that's okay, and what's going to be the rule i got to follow, and what's the rule I can get away with, and how close can I get and still get to heaven? And that's why Jesus always said, way more than you can possibly do. You know what you have to do to get to heaven? More than you're possibly capable of doing. You're actually going to have to depend on me for this. You're actually going to have some faith in me. You're going to have to let go and let me get you there because you can't get there. You can't follow enough rules. You can't be enough things. You can't give enough to missions. You can't walk enough old ladies across the street. Or if you're an old lady, you can't walk enough young guys across the street to get yourself to heaven. Go to Isaiah 61. I was, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this, and this just, in Isaiah 61, love this verse. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. I didn't give you enough time to get there. Start over again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to the opening of prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, I love that verse. But you know where I really, really love that verse? Is in Luke. Let's go over to Luke chapter 4. See, there have been a lot of people. Understand how the synagogue system works in the time of Christ. They would do kind of almost what we would do where someone would come in, they'd read a passage of Scripture, and then they'd sit down and teach a passage of Scripture, right? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 4, and Jesus walks into the synagogue in his hometown, and what does it say in verse 17? And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And imagine this now, Jesus Christ has stepped into the synagogue, and he has opened up his word of God, and he is pointing to a specific passage, and Jesus says to the people in this room, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the years of the Lord favor and then I love he says and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing See, a lot of people read that scripture in a lot of synagogues all over Israel and the places where the Jews were scattered. But all of a sudden, when Jesus reads that scripture in the synagogue, something is different about what he's saying. Because he's not just speaking it like it's something written on paper. It's a prophecy of when God is going to walk among us, when he is going to be incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And now here he is standing in the synagogue reading to this, and he just rolls it up and goes back and sits down, and that must have felt like the longest 20 seconds of their life. What is this guy going to say? There was something about how when he read that, they knew there was something different about this man. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor because to proclaim the, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and without batting an eye he looked at him and said and today this has been fulfilled among you his word was prophetic his word was something see this thing about prophecy and I think I may have figured this out why sometimes we get a little hung up gosh man um you ever you ever you ever check yourself in your spirit and you're like this could, I'm just gonna tell you guys do you know 
You don't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to prophesy. Now, if you guys were from my denomination, there'd be torches and pitchforks at this point. But you're not, and the reason I know you don't have to is because Saul did. And Saul was a pretty rotten guy most of the time. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God got on Saul at one point, and he starts prophesying. And everybody's like, what, is Saul a prophet now? A prophetic word, well, it's different, isn't it? We argue about the book of Revelation because the Revelation, book of Revelation says some amazing things. And everybody has all these different interpretations about when it's going to come. My interpretation of Revelation is this, is that God has spelled out exactly what he is going to do, but he will do it in such a way that we will all be wrong, right? That every one of us, and I know this because if you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, they knew Christ was going to come the first time, and they have all these little side notes in there saying, he's going to be here, and he's going to be like this, and he's going to do this, and they knew what Christ would look like, yet when Christ came, he came in such a way that it blew their minds, and they had no idea that this was the Son of God walking. The most educated were the ones most likely to miss who he was right? Because they were all about the rituals. They were all about the rules. Is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath day? They were more worried about whether or not the rules said you can do this on a Sunday than they were whether somebody was going to be healed, where a miracle was going to occur in their midst. Can you imagine if God said, hey, I'm going to rain down manna from heaven, and we said, well, Chick-fil-A's closed today, so we can't do that, right? We need less sermons and we need more word. And by that I mean every message we hear needs to have a thus saith the Lord somewhere in there. I, I've never given a prophetic message and said thus saith the Lord except for one time and I swear the Lord just made me say it because there was somebody who would be offended by it. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't anything earth shaking. It was one of those the Lord just wanted to tell somebody he loved the messages and I said thus saith the Lord and you'd have thought I had just gone up there and you know, I don't know, desecrated the altar. I don't know what you, but they were just, oh, you can't say thus saith the Lord. You can't have thus saith the Lord. We're actually kind of afraid of the fact that somebody could say something on behalf of God anymore. You know why in our postmodern society, we really get this thing about everybody has their own truth and only the Bible is truth. And I believe that all truth is in the Bible and the Bible is all true. And there is nothing I believe more than I believe this word but I also believe that God speaks through people of this word to other people. I believe that thus, thus saith the Lord is in here, but thus saith the Lord is in Kristen, and it's in Mona, and it's in Paul. That There are times when God's got to get a message to me, right? God's got to say something to somebody, and they're not going to sit down and do, a, do this, so he puts it in one of us, D. And he says, D, thus saith the Lord, go tell that person. I see what's going on in their life. Sometimes, <laughs> this message is going completely different than I had it pictured in my head. Let me see if I can get on track here, though. Let me see if I can get to where we need to go. I joke around a lot. I'm kind of a goof-off. Confession time. I figure in the pulpit, thank you, Tim. Lord sees that hand. <laughs> me, me and Tim, me and Tim. There are some words that the Lord gives me that I can't say. And there's some words that if I don't say them, if I sit on them, if they don't come out of me, 
A lot of times, I'll say words to people because I really want to change their behavior. I see something going on in somebody's life, and I'm like, man, I really want to correct what's going on. You do it with your kids, right? You're like, oh my gosh, my kids are doing this thing, and I just want you to not do that thing. Do you know a lot of times what we're giving the kids is we're giving them our opinion when we really need to figure out what's going in their life so that we can give them a thus saith the Lord? Did you know that sometimes with your spouse, there's something your spouse does that just aggravates you? Joe and Beth, you'll be there someday. They will just aggravate you. I know everything is rainbows and puppy dogs now, and it should be. But one day, you're going to be like, he brushes his teeth so loud, right? (laughs) But sometimes we find some place in our calling with our marriage, with our husband and our wife, where there's something that really burns on our heart, and they're not doing what we want them to do. And what we do is we give them our opinion, and we try to convince them with our words, and we throw what words we have at them because we haven't spent the time to find out what the Lord would say to them. And if you were to take your words and replace them with His, you would actually see the change you wanted. But instead, we just argue, and we fight, and we fuss. I love that in James. You have not because you ask not, and you ask and receive not because you want to spend it on your own lusts. You ask, but you're really asking according to your own passion. A lot of times, instead of us finding the thus saith the Lord, we find that I really want to say this, right? (laughs) That is different. I have found people that earnestly wanted to give a prophetic word, but the best they could come up with is, I'd really like to say this thing. Did you know, though, that there are people in your life that you are struggling with on a daily basis that if you found the place in your heart where you could submit to the will of God and to the word of God and instead of saying, what is it that bugs me about them? If you said, Lord, what is it I could minister them in? Then you could change that person's life. But we're too busy figuring out what it is we want to say. And we wonder why our words fall to the ground. That's when God says to Samuel, I won't let your words fall to the ground. You know why that is? Because Samuel spoke God's words. Because when Samuel spoke, it was the word that the Lord had given them. I love the verse in Proverbs. It says, where words are many, sin is not absent. Right? God told Ezekiel to speak his words to the dry bones because God's word can command the dead to rise. And what I mean by this is, we're going to get into Ezekiel, we're going to get into Isaiah, this is kind of the introduction lesson and, and the introduction and, and all these other we're going to get into. But when he takes Ezekiel to the valley of dry bones, what does he tell him to do? He says, prophesy to them. Do you know why he had to prophesy to the bones? I want you to picture this. Ezekiel could have yelled at those bones all day long and nothing would have happened. But if Ezekiel knows that the word of God for those bones is to come alive, and Ezekiel speaks out the word of God, those bones had no choice. Do you know when Jesus stood over the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth, he didn't yawn, stretch, and meander out. He hopped out in his full rags. That's a little extra biblical, right? But let me tell you this. When Jesus said it, because he said it, it had to be true. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, there was no choosing for Lazarus. The word of God had been spoken to something dead, and life had come out of it because God had spoken it. And we so often want to use our own words and we want to put our own things. No one ever gave us the right to take the parts of Scripture that we like and beat someone over the head with it. We take all of the Scripture and we let it change us so that when our words come out, they are His words. We can be the living Word of God. We can be the living Word of God if we'll let His Word in our heart, if we'll let Him change us, if He'll even let us change what we say. 
That's why James says if you can control your tongue, you're darn near perfect, right? If you can control your mouth, you're as close to perfect as you're going to get. If your mouth could utter the words of God, if God could speak to your heart in such a way that when you talk to somebody, they changed. When you talk to somebody, they broke. When you talk to somebody, they were healed. When you talk to somebody, they were delivered. When you talk to somebody, their life changed. When you talk to them, addictions changed. Too many of us figure out how to get God's word in us, but we don't figure out how to get God's word out of us. Right? The problem with a whole lot of Christians is we get a whole lot of word and it sits there and it never comes back out, right? We go to, I always say we're not church 101. There, there's plenty of churches 101. We're church 102. God expects something out of people that come to this church because God has a mission for this church. And part of that mission is the word has to come out of us. It just can't go in all the time. We become such receivers in Christianity, don't we? We become such receivers. Yes, I want, I want to come and I want to hear Kurt give me another good Bible. Kurt, give me a good Sunday school this morning. All right, good job, Kurt. Okay, pastor, give me a good message. Good job, pastor. Okay, and we're just going from person to person. That's why in the Pentecostal movement, we have people running around. I want you to give me a word and you to give me a word and you to give me a word and you to give me a word. I want some of those guys to turn around and give someone else a word. Listen, I am called of God to pastor this church. That does not mean I am the only voice of God in this church. Amen? And any time a pastor puts himself in a position and says, I'm the only one God's speaking through here, you know that man has fallen. That he's already gone. They, yeah, I'm in trouble. Um, here's why. You ready for it? The reason why we struggle as pastors to say that God can speak through other people, that prophetic utterance can come out of somebody else, that God's word can speak through someone is because there's crazy. Did you know that? There's some crazy out there, Kelly. And pastors were always a little bit worried about the crazy. Amen? Like, like, hey, I want you guys to just, you know, whatever the Lord's put on your heart. God says go to Burger King. What? I've heard some people say some dumb things and want to tie a thus saith the Lord behind it. <laughs> and as a pastor, let me tell you, you get a little worried, right? Like, man, Russell, I want to release you in the power of God to just speak what he puts on your heart. And Russ is like, you know what? I was up really late last night and I was watching this movie about vampires I probably shouldn't have been watching, but you know what they said in this movie? And the next thing you know, something crazy comes out. I'm just picking on you because you're there. Um, you've, never, you've never prophesied any, you know... Because sometimes, for some people, what's been burning in my soul is just heartburn. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's, this has been burning on the inside of me. Well, don't have red sauce after 7 o'clock. Okay, let me, let me help you out with that. And I'll tell you this. This is, a, this is something that really kind of hit me, is that some people with a gift of discernment have more trouble with this than others do. See, I, I believe strongly in the gift of discernment because I'm married to somebody who has that gift and I've been bereft of it my entire life. I have no idea how Kristen even sees the world sometimes, but she sees it different than I do and I have to rely on my wife to help me sometimes to direct that. But you know sometimes if you have a very high level gift of discernment that God just puts it in your heart when there's something wrong here or something wrong there that you begin to see the world as what's wrong with people and then, and then sometimes you feel like the way to correct that is to let them know what's wrong with them. 
and it comes from a good place, you're seeing something that's spiritually askew. You're seeing something that's not where it's supposed to be, but you're not fixing it with what God has. See, the other part of it is not just discernment. Discernment is the first part. You know it's there. You have the diagnosis. But you're not going to cure it in your own strength and with your own words and with your own power. The second part of that is saying, God, what is it this person needs to hear? What do I need to say to them? How can I affect them? How can I change this? I don't want to use my words. I might get angry. I might be hungry. I might be tired, right? I might just have had a bad day, and, and I just want to, you know what? You bug me with that one more time, and I'm going to say exactly what the Lord's revealed to me in the meanest way possible, right? The second part of that is what does the Lord want to say to that person? In 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14, because I think this is the verse that people miss there. Because as he's talking about prophesying, he's talking about orderly worship, get all the way down to verse 29, he says, let two or, two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. There is no one operating in the true anointing as a prophet of God that is not under the authority of somebody. I'm going to tell you that right now. There is no one operating as a prophet of God that is not under the authority of somebody. Because, let me tell you something about prophetic giftings, it's not an authority gifting. I think that's what freaks people out, right, right Lynn? Is it, is it, if you've got a word from God, and I'm the pastor, I should have the word from God, right? I can't let someone else say, you know, this is what I really feel like the Lord is saying. No, no, this is my show, right? I'm the guy on the stage under the lights. I've got the microphone, you know? But somebody that really has that word from the Lord, that really feels it burning in their soul, they want the permission of the pastor. Not because I need to control it, but there's something about prophetic gifting, true prophetic gifting, that is by nature submissive. That you submit to the authority over you. That you let other people judge your prophetic word. Did you know that? That if someone has a word for you, if somebody comes, man, Lord gave me a word for you, and they give you this word, it's okay to judge the word they give you? You don't just say, oh, hey, you said that, all right, right? You can actually take that in your heart. You can even ask somebody else who also has a prophetic gifting or a pastor or somebody like that. You can say, hey, this person gave this word over me. What do you think of it? Did you know as a pastor, sometimes people judge me by what I say? Don't mean to scare anyone. And do you know what I do when someone does? I consider it. I think, huh. Sometimes I'm like, man, I'm glad they gave me that word of direction. I'm glad they gave, gave me a little correction there. I probably was a little off there. And sometimes I'm probably like, they should lay off the tacos, right? But I judge it. Sometimes I'll bring it up to somebody else and say, hey, Kristen, somebody said this to me. What do you think about this? In Corinthians, it says that when someone gives you a word, when someone has a prophetic utterance, we're allowed to judge it. If you don't let someone judge that, then you're doing the same thing that the pastor would do who says that I'm the only one allowed to speak. Did you know that when God's word comes out of somebody else's mouth, there's a chance, just a chance, that their personality will be attached to it? Did you know that? Do you know you have a harder time receiving God's word out of somebody you don't like? Do you know that? Sharon, if you don't like Mona, and Mona's got a revelation from God about you, you're going to be like, yeah, okay, Mona, gotcha, you know, be blessed, sister, Right? But if you love Mona, if you respect her, if you see her, right, then all of a sudden you receive that word. 
But every word that comes through somebody, even me today, speaking up here, I believe God has given me the word for this church. I labored over this word. I wept over this word. I spent time on my face before I came up here to deliver it. But you know what? There's still some me in it. Did you know that? That's what discernment's about. It's about winnowing out what is us and what is of the Lord and taking those pieces that God has planted there for us. I say sometimes I come out here to preach and I'm just the background noise while God inspires you in a different way. You hear me say something and you're like, oh wow, and the Lord starts to really work on you. And you may get a message from the Lord during a service that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but because you were here and because I was laboring to deliver God's word, he just got a couple of words out that set you on that path that says, man, this is what I need to deal with in my life. This is where I need to be in my family that it's not always. God doesn't force his words on those who won't receive, which means we can't either. That's why if you have a word for somebody, you know what you should do, right? You should ask them. Hey, I feel like the Lord's put something in my heart. Is it okay if I tell you? Do you see the submission there? Do you see the part where you say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not here to just lay my hands on you and say, look, I'm better than you and God's told me something about you and now I've got to give it to you. But it's a, hey, this is just, it's on my heart. I just want to tell you, is it okay? And allow them, right? And be in submission. We're so scared of submission, aren't we? We are so scared of authority. And let me tell you something, Northern Illinois, we are so scared of hierarchy. We have this like government thing where everybody's got to be above somebody else here, right? Like if I'm this much above you, <laughs> look at me, now I'm going to use my authority on you. Anyone been to the DMV? Amen? Like, <laughs> I'm in authority over you now. I'm not going to stamp your paper, right? I make five fifteen an hour. I'll show you. I kid, don't tape that. Um, <laughs> I might have to go there and I'd be denied. But in the church, our authority is built not on the fact that we can lord it over one another or the fact that we can be big and macho and say, ha ha, look at this authority that I have over you, but it comes in the fact that we submit one to another, right? And I'm debating on going here. I'm debating on it. I can't. No, we're not going to do it now. We're going to come back to it. We've got a long way to go on this. And what I've decided is since I'm a pastor, I don't have to preach everything I know today. Amen? We're going to preach some of it next week, too. We, I've got, I've got <laughs> on my board now, I literally have the next two months written on the board where everything starts at. The Lord just gave it to me in one big chunk, and so now I'm just working out the parts. And this is the first thing, is just to explain to you that we're going to get to this place because I've got to explain to you why all the prophets are dead. Right? And the first reason that prophets are dead is because when religion takes the place of relationship in church, the living word of God is taken out of that place and you are left with the husk of what it used to be. If we let the word of God that's given through prophetic utterance, if we don't let the pastors, if we don't let the laity, if we don't let the people in the church be inspired and speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit into the lives of each other from the pulpit, in the song service, everywhere that we as a church do something, if we don't have a prophetic bent, if we don't have an inspiration to that, if there's not some part of God that lights that thing off and starts it, if we're just up here trying to look good and be technically proficient and wow you with what we do, then we are going to be as dead as any other other social club you could be 
The only reason we have to stand up here and say, you know what, when you come in here, your life can be changed is the fact that God has inspired this thing, that He has started this thing, that this is His work and it flows from Him. And because of that, there are going to be times when I can stand behind this pulpit and I can say, thus saith the Lord, because I know that's what He's saying. Because I know that's what's got to go in our lives. Because I know that's what's got to go in our church. The days of the non-supernatural church are over. The days where we could just say that it happened back then, but it doesn't happen now. That God healed back then, but He doesn't heal now. And He spoke back then, but He doesn't speak now. He moved back then, but He doesn't move now. What kind of God is that? What kind of God are we serving if we say, I can, you know what, Elijah's dead. You're never going to be Elijah. You're never going to call down fire. You know what, Nathan's dead. You're never going to stand before a king and rebuke that king knowing his secret sin, even the things he wouldn't tell anybody else. Nathan stood before King David and said, David, you are that man. And he knew with certainty what had happened because the Lord had revealed it to him. If God doesn't do that anymore, then we have no business being here. We'd be serving a dead God. And he says, I'm not a God of the dead, but I'm a God of the living. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Josh, if you'd come, just play something. I wanted to shout more today, but this isn't, this isn't what it's about. Without the living word of God being spoken in our church and in our homes and in our community, the people around us will be living in a distorted view of God. The Bible says that now we see through a glass darkly. And when it's talking about that, it's talking about that in context to it says knowledge will cease and prophecy will cease and tongues will cease. It says there'll come a day when all these things cease because we're going to be standing in the presence of God and we won't need them to direct us anymore. But now we see through a glass darkly. And what he's saying is right now we don't have the full vision of God in all his glory, but when someone speaks to us through the word of God into our heart, we begin to see through a glass darkly we get that little glimpse that little glimmer of hope that little light in the window that little something on the other side that says there's someone who hears and who sees and who knows that's what the prophetic is all about helping us just see through that glass darkly And my temptation is to, 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 to not let you leave until God speaks something specific to your heart. But let me tell you something. I can't force that on you. I can't make you do it. I can't even give it to you because it's not mine to give. It's His. And in truth, you're never going to receive it if you're not hungry for it. It's not going to fall in your lap. You're not going to turn the corner and be blindsided for it. It says those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. It says if you want to come to God, you have to believe that He is good and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. <laughs> Sometimes we do absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God and then we're surprised that God does nothing in our lives. 
Sometimes we pay zero attention to God and then are absolutely shocked when something bad happens to us. God, how could you let that happen? God's like, I haven't seen you in months. Until you get hungry for it. Until you get thirsty for it. Until it really burns in your soul. When you look at your wife, when you look at your kids, when you look at your husband, when you look at your mom and your dad, when you look at your friends and you see the lostness in their eyes, when you see your family struggling with sin after sin, some of us have kids and grandkids that are lost and we've just talked their ear off, but we've never prophesied to them. We've never had that moment where you looked into them eye to eye and you said, thus saith the Lord. I know what's going on in your life, kid. And so does the Lord, and He can set you free. Today's the beginning of our journey. From now to the end of the summer, we as a church are going to become more known we as a church are going to begin to hear from the Lord in a new way. It's already started. There are people in our church having dreams. You don't know. The things I hear in my office and the things people tell me, things are happening. I don't care if I pastor here two years or 20 years. If I don't teach you how to hear from God, then I am a failure. If I cannot impart unto you some ability to know what the Holy Spirit is saying in your life and in the life of every person you pass, then I will consider myself a failure no matter how much time I spend in this pulpit. If I cannot convince you or show you or build in you that hunger that says, I have to know what God is saying, not just for me, but for my family and for my community and for those that I love that I don't want to see suffer. I can't do that, then I can't do anything. And so today it starts. The world changes here and the world changes today. God, I know you will give me anything I ask for this church. God, I know you will give me anything, Lord, because you're good, because you're just waiting. And sometimes, Lord, I don't even know what to ask for the people that you've given me, but I do know this, and God, I'm asking this with all my heart, with it laying on the altar before you, God, who can see through everything that I am, Lord. In this moment, let me be completely honest, and let me say that for every person under the sound of my voice today, that you open up the ears of their heart, that you open up the eyes of their spirit, that you begin to give them dreams and visions, that even as they walk, you begin to speak to them, that you begin to arrest their hearts, that you begin to stand in front of them, that when they rise and when they sleep, your voice is always in their ear. And God, these people will change the world. These people will change the world. God, with 
our waking eyes and with our waking ears, even as we walk, Lord. Reveal yourself to the people of Belvedere First Assembly of God. Church, let's stand.